Morning, morning. How are you guys doing? Awesome. Why don't you guys be turning over to Genesis chapter 27. We're just going to jump right in. How do you guys feel about that? Feeling good about that? I am too. We got quite a bit of reading. Uh, and, you know, looking through it, I was trying to figure out, hey, what can we cut out? What can we kind of summarize? And honestly, I couldn't really find anything. So uh, we're going to read the whole chapter, chapter 27. Uh, you know, previous to this, um, last week we learned about Jacob and Esau. Now, of course, it's already, the writer's already been setting up the fact that Jacob and Esau are going to be at odds. And they are going to be at odds from the very beginning as they came out of the womb, wrestling, jostling, grabbing each other's heels as they're coming out of the womb there to the point where we know that they're going to be enemies. And so here in chapter 27 in verse 1, we're going to pick up, it says, When Isaac was old and his eyes were so weak that he, he could no longer see, he called for Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, here I am, he answered. Isaac said, I am now an old man and don't know the, the day of my death. Now then, get your um, equipment, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the open country to hunt some wild game for me. Prepare for me the kind of tasty food I like and bring it to me to eat so that I may give you my blessing before I die. We'll stop right there. You know, Isaac at this moment is getting old. He's 137 years old. Uh, there's no one here today in this room that's 137 years old. So we can just kind of guess that he's probably feeling it a bit at this moment. And he's worried about his death. And we actually know that we can kind of add some things together and we figure out he actually passes way to 180. So there's a little bit of a rush here on Isaac's part. There's a little bit of a rush that he wants to make sure that Esau receives this blessing. Now here and also the writer wants to point out to us that Isaac is blind. That Isaac has a hard time seeing. You know, and the reason why this is pointed out is that the author wants to make sure that we understand that Isaac is blind to the reality of his son, Esau. Because previous to this, if you look up, we're not going to read it, but in the very last two verses of chapter 26, it talks about how Esau took, sorry, it's making funky noises there, that Esau took two wives. And these wives were Hittite women. Outside of the plan and outside of the line that God has chosen the line of Canaan. Now, and this is from you know, Abraham's own family. Now, of course, we know that Isaac, by Abraham himself, was given clear instruction that he had to go back and marry a woman from my line. You can't marry anybody else except from my family line. Now, we see that Esau goes and does his own thing. And perhaps that's the reason why Isaac wants to rush this blessing. Is that he knows that Esau is not the chosen one. He knows that Esau's life and his choices are not righteous. So he wants to make sure he gets the blessing and not his other son, Jacob. Now normally too, this is a big family um, just event. The blessing. Imagine this is, this is a huge party and, you know, including the whole family. 
But does it look like Jacob and his mother know about this? No, it seems like, again, Isaac is trying to sneak this one in. He's trying to rush this. Let's continue. Let's pick up in verse 5. It says, Now, um, Rebekah was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. When Esau left for the open country to hunt game and bring it back, uh, I'm going to have trouble with this all day. Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Look, I have overheard your father say to your brother Esau, Bring me some game and prepare me some tasty food to eat, so that I may give you my blessing in the presence of the Lord before I die. Now, my son, listen carefully and do what I tell you. Go out to the flock. Bring me two choice young goats so I can prepare some tasty food for your father, just the way he likes it. Then take it to your father to eat so that he may give you his blessing before he dies. Jacob said to um, uh, Rebekah, his mother, but my brother Esau is a hairy man while I have smooth skin. What if my father touches me? I would appear to be tricking him and would bring down a curse on myself rather than a blessing. So he went and got, uh, so he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And she prepared some tasty food just the way his father liked it. Then, then Rebekah took, took the best clothes of Esau, her older son, which she, which she had in the house, and put them on her younger son, Jacob. She also covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with goat skin. Then she handed her son Jacob the tasty food and the bread she had made. Now here we see Rebecca. She's starting to scheme, isn't she? Now this, I don't know about you, but I don't come up with schemes like this just off, just off you know, like um, top of my head in like the moment. Hey, I have an idea. Let's do this, this, and this, and this, and this. I'm going to make you special, special gloves. It's going to be great. <laughs> Clearly, she has been thinking about this for a while. She's been listening in on these conversations for a while, waiting for her moment. Now, this is a pretty big lie when you, when you think about it. You know, Hitler himself talked about the idea of the bigger the lie, the more believable it will be. Why? Because small lies, we would pick up on it. But it's so big, we just, uh, just assume that it must be true. It's the same type of lie that she is creating. Now, maybe for her, she's been worn down by her other son, Esau. The fact that he has these two other wives around that she knows are not the way that God would have wanted it. Maybe she's feeling like, ah, oh, i got to fix this. i got to make sure God's will is actually done. Maybe she's remembering back to what she was told early on about her two children. That the younger will be the actual one to carry on the line. You know, so she goes and executes this plan. She prepares this tasty meal for Isaac, disguises her son Jacob, even has an extra set of clothes from Esau in the house. Now, mind you, he's married. I'm pretty sure his clothes weren't just laying around. She wouldn't got those. And she goes to her favorite son, Jacob. Notice Jacob's heart in this. His only objection is not whether it's right or wrong. Not whether God said this was, Mom, I don't know about this. This seems kind of shady. He's more worried about, am I going to be blessed or am I going to be cursed? His only concern is getting caught. 
Let's continue on in verse 18. Now Jacob, he went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, he answered, who is it? Line number one coming up here. Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please sit up and eat some food and eat some of my game so that you may give me your blessing. Isaac asked his son, how did you find it so quickly, my son? Line number two, the Lord, your God, gave me success, he said. Then Isaac said to Jacob, come near so that I may touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. Here, Isaac's probably thinking to himself, we named you Jacob for a reason. Let me just double check and make sure this is really you. Um, in verse 21, it says, Isaac said to Jacob, oh, excuse me, verse 22, Jacob went close to his father Isaac, who touched him and said, and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of um, Esau. Must have been a really hairy guy. He did not recognize him. For his son, for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he proceeded to bless him. Are you really my son Esau? He asked. Third lie. I am, he said. Then he said, My son, bring me some of. Oh, excuse me. Uh, then he said, My son, bring me some of your game to eat, so that I may give you my blessing. Jacob brought it to him, and he ate it. He brought some wine, and he drank it. Then his father Isaac said to him, Come here, my son, and kiss me. So he went to him and kissed him. When Isaac caught the smell of his clothes, he blessed him and said, Ah, oh, the smell of my son. It's like the smell of the fields that the Lord has blessed. My God give you, uh, may God give you heaven's dew and the earth's riches and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and people bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed. May those who bless you be blessed. Now we see the plan is beginning to unfold. That the lies and deceits begin piling up. All to get his father's blessing. You can imagine how Jacob would have felt in this moment. His heart pumping, nervous, probably sweaty. Imagine even with that extra goat skin on top of him. He's pouring sweat probably. Worried about, hey, is this going to work? You know, but the scariest thing that ends up happening here is that Jacob uses the name of God to actually execute his deceit. Wow. Let's continue on in verse 30. It says, After Isaac finished blessing him, and Jacob had uh, scarcely left his father's presence, probably running out the door, his brother Esau came in from hunting. He too prepared some tasty food and brought it to his father. Then he said to him, My father, please sit up and eat some of my game, so that you may give me your blessing. His father Isaac asked him, Who are you? I am your son, he answered, your firstborn Esau. Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? I ate it just before you came, and I blessed him. And indeed, he will be blessed. When Esau heard his father's words, he burst out with a loud and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me, me too, my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Esau said, Isn't it rightly, isn't he rightly named Jacob? He's like, Thanks, Dad. This is the second time he's taken advantage of me. Mm, second time he's taken advantage of you. He took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. 
Then he asked, Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? Isaac answered Esau, I have made him lord over you and made and have made all his and all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. So what can I possibly do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you do you have only one blessing, my father? Bless me too, father. Then Esau wept. Stop right there. Here we see that Esau, he figures it out. Jacob runs out. Esau walks in, prepares his food. He's probably excited about this moment, thinking, I'm finally getting back at Jacob. I'm finally going to take my rightful place. Only to find out that his blessing, just like his birthright, had been taken from him. Now notice, too, that Esau is only whining about himself. Nothing to do with God. It's all about him and how Jacob has hurt him. But if we look back, who sold their birthright for a cup of soup? It was Esau, not Jacob. Verse 39, let's keep reading on. His father Isaac answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of the heaven above. The exact opposite of his brother here. You will live by the sword and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from, uh, from off your neck. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing his father had given him. He said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are near. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. When um, Rebekah was told what her older son Esau had said, she sent for her younger son Jacob and said, your brother Esau is planning to avenge himself by killing you. Now then, my son, do what I say. Flee at once to your brother, um, to my brother Laban in um, Haran. Stay with him for a while until your brother's fury um, subsides. When your brother is no longer angry with you and forgets what you did to him. Yeah. I'll send word from you to come back um, from there. Why should I lose both of you in one day? Then, um, uh, then Rebecca said to Isaac, I'm disgusted with living because of these Hittite women. If Jacob takes a wife from among the women of this land, from the Hittite women like these, my life will not be worth living. Now this is a crazy family, right? Crazy family dynamics here. It kind of makes you feel a little better about the things that happen in your house, doesn't it? You're like, well, at least we're not doing that. Or at least it's not, you know, recorded for everybody to read about. You know, but it's kind of an odd story, you know, when you think about it. You're like, who's the good guy in this? What am, what am I supposed to take from this? You know, what kind of moral is being left here for me? It seems like everybody's kind of messed up here. Everybody makes bad decisions. You know what? Each one of these individuals here, each four of them, all had a choice. The same choice. That they could make a choice with or without God. That's the title of my lesson today, is A Life Without. You know, Isaac wanted Esau to get the blessing no matter what. Esau wanted to get his own way no matter what. Jacob wanted his own wealth and his father's blessing whichever way he could get it. And Rebekah wanted to see her favorite son succeed no matter what. They all have a choice and they all choose to live a life without God. 
in this moment. Their choices are without God. Now, for a lot of us, we think it's a battle of right and wrong. Sin versus righteousness. But in fact, it really gets cut down to a with God or without God. Whether your choices are with God in mind or without God in mind. And the choice we have today, every day, is the same. We can live a life with God or a life without God. You know, it should be easy to choose, shouldn't it? You say, obviously I want to live a life with God. I think it becomes harder and harder for us to make that correct decision because we feel that we can get um, away with it. That we can get everything we want if we just choose that life without God. Even though we know what is right and what is wrong, we see Isaac here knew about Esau. Knew about God's words. Perhaps even the fact that he knew the um, oracle that was said before his sons were even born. But he wanted his way. He thought he could get away from it. Let me just plan this blessing kind of off the books. And make sure my favorite son gets blessed. You know, there is no mistake, like I said earlier, that it's pointed out that Isaac is blind. He's physically blind and spiritually blind, just like many of us today. And the fact that we choose to live a life without God, that we somehow think it will be better, that it will all work out for us, that we think that somehow our life without God will actually be a life with all of our heart's desires, that somehow we will um, obtain everything that we want and that we will continue to live a life without God with no consequences. And at this time, um, I've asked Josh Green to share his uh, testimony. Good morning, church. Um, my name is Josh Green, as Jeff shared. And, um, I'm going to be able to kind of share my life as well as um, my path of selfishness, which um, left me to a life without um, God and what that looked like and what harvest that um, Put on myself. His quick history is: I grew up in the church. Um, my parents have been faithful disciples for um, over 20 years, going on 25. Um, I have one older brother. We um, both grew up going to church, and that was our life. We moved a lot. I by 10th grade, I was uh, at my 11th different public school, and um, I. But I, I would say that I appeared to be a very giving person. That was kind of my talent. I love to serve people and um, do those things, but um, from, from elementary to middle school years, but quickly, I, things that I really noticed in my life through disciplinary actions and things were anger. Um, I was very lonely. Um, selfish desires. Those were definitely, um, I desired to do things for myself and, and how I can be- better benefit myself Going into high school, I got baptized um, on November 11, 2011, which I was a freshman. Um, that began my relationship with God. I knew the basic principle of what it meant to follow God um, and, and what that would look like for me. Uh, going into my senior year, I feel like that was when um, the first time in my faith where I really had to make a fight or flight decision. Everyone, as the teens know, senior year can be challenging. You're wondering where you're going to college, 
what's your future? That depicts what career you possibly have, and it's a big decision. For me, a lot of that rid on sports. Um, I, I plan on going on a full ride. I'll give you a short story. I was at um, Nationals, and I this was my senior year, and so, of course, all the colleges are there, and you're wondering, um, this is your time to perform, so you can kind of see what's going to make your decision. Um, during warm-ups, I went down the uh, runway in Povold and uh, tore my, a ligament in my ankle and was out for the rest of the, the year. Um, but I share that because that right there was the moment I realized that my, um, I'm a very impulsive decision maker. The next week, I, I was honored, I, I felt um, a strong passion for the military. The next week, I was already in the recruiting office. Um, and I was talking to a recruiter about joining the Army. The following week after that, I was up at MEPS enlisting into the Army. Um, and this is in high school. During the same time, I was battling my relationship with God and a, and a, a relationship that I had in the world um, uh, at school at the same time. And again, I, I had to make that decision to, to fight or to um, take flight and, and take the easy way out. For me, I, I chose to seek after that relationship. I, I wanted what was in that moment. I knew those feelings, but not wanting to think about the long-term effect of what that really looked like. Those decisions um, quickly led to me having great days, um, but very lonely nights. Um, impurity, deceitfulness, physical and verbal altercations with my family, um, daily arguments with my parents. Um, feeling very hopeless. My life, I felt like had no purpose at that point. And, and this is someone that has decided to follow Christ who is alive and has everything. And it's like, how do you get to this point where you literally have nothing? Yeah. Um, like I said, I, I had no direction, but I knew what I was doing. I, I knew that I had made this decision, but wasn't willing to surrender. I was so concerned about me. I wasn't thinking about um, the relationship that I was in, um, how it was affecting the other person or uh, my parents, what I was putting them through, the example I was setting for my, my brother, uh, my friendships in the team ministry, um, all of those things that I, I was willing to really just sacrifice because I was so focused on me. Yeah. Like Jacob here, he... Uh, he was so focused on, as Jeff kind of shared, of, of what he could do just to get his part. He, was, he wouldn't, wasn't willing to think about his mother or his father, um, especially his brother, what that would look like for him. Nightly, um, I prayed desperately because I knew how difficult my life was and how I wasn't willing to surrender to God. That was literally nightly. I, I remember um, before I went to bed and... God just let me live at least another day um, because I knew that where I was at, that it was a scary place for sure. Through faith with that, um, and of course God's grace, I was able to get back connected um, with the body and I'm now able to, uh, I was restored on July 15, 2015. Um, and I would serve in the team ministry, which is so awesome, and getting married in 48 days.
You know, too often our lives look very similar to Josh. Yeah. Look very similar to Isaac, Esau, Jacob, and um, Rebecca's when we choose a life without God. But let me throw a question out there for you. Were any of those individuals um, fulfilled, fulfilled after this? Were they fulfilled? Did they get what they wanted? What about you and your life without God? Were you fulfilled? Have you gotten everything that you've wanted out of life? And we make choices. We, we want to live the way we want to live. And we act as if it's going to work out perfectly. Right. Well, if we look at Genesis 27, we see that there are consequences of their decisions of a life without God. Isaac doesn't bless his favorite son. And in fact, he curses him. And this is funny in itself. He wants wild game, but he gets goat. And he ends up tearing apart his family because of his actions. Esau, no blessing at all, but in fact was cast out from his family. Away from the richness of God. To live by, by the sword. Jacob, he gets what he wants technically, but it doesn't quite look the way that he had hoped. He has to stay away from his family, hunted down by his brother. We know for at least 20 years, he doesn't come back. And we look at the mother, she loses everything, doesn't she? Loses both of her sons in one day. You think her marriage was good after this? There was some repairing to be done. You know, the plans they had all fall apart. They're only left knee deep in the consequences of their choices without God. You know, life without God looks so good in the moment, doesn't it? You know, life without God is actually a life without. You know, when you go to um, a McDonald's or any fast food place, right, you see the picture and it looks so good and the number one right there, doesn't it? Looks fantastic. All glistening and glossy. Lettuce looks fresh and not wilted. Beef patty looks like two inches thick. Bun is perfectly shaped and not smooshed by your french fries. Right? The sauce hasn't soaked through the bun and just falls apart in your hands. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe that's just me and how the burgers I get. Maybe you guys get better ones. Maybe they just don't like me. I don't know. But it looks so good, doesn't it? And then you get it. And you're like, yeah, that's not really what I wanted. But you eat it. For a moment, you're fulfilled and you come home and guess what happens? You feel horrible. Your stomach hurts because you're like, guess what? I ate garbage. It's that pink slime. Google it. Have fun with that one. It's the same thing with our choices outside of God. When we choose to live a life without God, it looks so good, doesn't it? But then the reality hits and the consequences set in. You know, sometimes the consequences are delayed. Sometimes they don't happen in the moment. But I guarantee you, they will, there will be consequences for your life without God. Whether it's today or whether it's later, whether it's tomorrow or whether it's on Judgment Day itself. We cannot escape the eternal consequences of our choices without God. 
You know, a lot of times we convince ourselves and kid ourselves that we can that we can get away with things. That we can have everything we want and continue to live a life without God. But in Romans 2 verse 5 it says, Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when His righteous judgment will be revealed. Talks here about the stubbornness of our hearts. That we conspire and conceal our sin. Unwilling to bring it into the light. It's like a child stealing from the cookie jar. Thinking, hey, I'm going to go for it. No one's going to see it and I'm going to get away with it. But with God, that's not the way it works. There will be consequences to your decisions and to your choices without God. For a lot of us guys, we got we to gotta wake up and realize that whether or not you're a Christian or not, there are consequences. Of a life without God. You know, I honestly, I totally get it. Yeah. It's easier to live a life without God. Without, you know, rules or the Bible or, you know, any type of consequences that we think. Yeah. I get it. It's easier. It's easier to push it out of your head. But the consequences are coming. Guarantee they are coming. So, but the big question I have to ask myself when reading this is why is this in the Bible then? If there's no real hero in this story, if you will, what is the point? What is the reason why God put this in here? What do I get out of this? Is it to don't be like Isaac, Jacob, Esau, or um, Rebecca? Is that, is that the point of the story? It's like, okay, well, I, I, I won't cheat and steal then, I guess. That, that sounds pretty good. That's a good sermon there, right? Don't cheat, don't, don't steal. See you later. Have a good day. Right? You're like, yeah, maybe that would be shorter than yours, Jeff. Maybe. Um, you know, what we do outside of God is that we lie, we cheat, we steal, we tear each other apart because of our life outside of God. You know, our life without God, we like to feel like, like I said earlier, is going to be a life with fulfillment, a life with blessing, a life of all our heart's desires. That we can fall into the same trap here as they did, that we think that, hey, my life without God is going to be a life of fulfillment and um, achievement. But a life apart from God, we're left still wanting. We're left... Without our desires fulfilled. Just as we see here. You know, in John 4, why don't we turn on over there? In John 4, we see, in verse 7, we see a Jesus sitting by the well. In verse 7 it says, When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to go buy food. Then, then the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for, uh, for a drink? For Jews do not associate with um, Samaritans. The Samaritan woman said to him, "You, uh, excuse me." Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, 
And, we, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also the sons, his sons and livestock? Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become, a, become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Here we see a woman who's beaten down by life. Beaten down by a life without God. We know earlier from this passage that she's had five husbands. She's living a life of secret sin. But not so secret. The whole town knows this. That's why she's at the well by herself during midday. And who's there? Jesus. You know, talk about a woman who understands what it means and the consequences of living a life without God. But see what Jesus offers her. He offers her living water that will quench her thirst, that will meet all of her desires, that will be what sustains her. Says the living water, everyone who drinks this living water will never go thirsty again. See, a life with God, a life with Christ, fulfills everything. It is true fulfillment. It is everlasting. It is truly a life with all your heart's desires. Focus on Christ. Now, so my challenge for you this morning, church, is to stop living a life without God. And just simply start living a life with God. Stop chasing after what you feel like will fulfill you. But in fact, turn to God. And get the true fulfillment. Get fulfilled with the life from God. Get a purpose. Be able to live guilt free. And have um, eternal life one day. So church, we have a choice this morning. The same choice that we see in Genesis chapter 27. We have a choice to live a life with God or a life without God. Church, let us choose a life with God. Amen. Amen.